Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. You're listening to episode 72 of Hack to Start. This episode features George Soto, the founder of Soto Ventures. Tyler and I wanted to invite George onto the show to share his story as an entrepreneur and sales guy. George has been involved in sales and business development for over 12 years with experience ranging from door-to-door to enterprise software to mobile advertising and finally startup sales. George started and worked with several startups and enterprise companies over the years, including MoPub, which was later acquired by Twitter. He also shares his tactics and insights by teaching through General Assembly and another startup he founded called Sales for Startups, which was later acquired by Sales Hacker. George is going to share tons of great insights with us today, and this is an amazing episode you won't want to miss, so let's get to it. Hey, George, thanks for being on the show today. Tyler, well, thanks so much. I really appreciate you. First of all, what you guys are up to and, and the, uh, the inspiration and education that you're sharing. Yeah, no, thanks for, thanks for listening to Hack to Start. It's been a project that Franco and I have been working on for over the past year, and uh, you've been someone that we really wanted to have on the show. So let's get to it. Um, where are you from? What did you study? And how did your passion for entrepreneurship develop? Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting <laughs> question. You know, it's something I think about all the time and, and uh, not always positive. <laughs> um, you know, so it's interesting. My father is, is an entrepreneur. He's actually a psychologist who started a business about 20 years after he became a psychologist. And his business was focusing on helping corporations manage their employee health and wellness. So basically providing stuff like conflict resolution, how to, let's say, deal with depression or anxiety or all those sorts of like health-related, specifically mental health-related issues within the workplace. And he's been doing that now maybe close to, to 40 years or so. So I, I grew up watching him kind of just work his tail off. And, and for me, it was, it was just super like logical and, and ordinary to see my father wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and not come home till midnight because he was working on a variety of things. In addition to that, my, my grandfather on my mother's side was an entrepreneur. He was uh, one of the early founders of the ceramic outsourcing industry in the Philippines back in, uh, back in the 70s. So just have been all, you know, just surrounded by it and, and, and fell in love with the concept uh, pretty early of being my own boss and being what I like to call the captain of my own ship. So you describe yourself as a very sales-driven entrepreneur and product manager. How do the first few jobs help you develop these skills? So, I mean, I've sold a bunch of stuff over the years, and, and I wasn't an engineer. And my, like, entrepreneurial sort of tendencies started off way before I got involved with technology. So it was always about how do I communicate messages? How do I sell a candy bar? How do I, like, 
you know, leverage what I felt like I was good at. And I was always really fascinated with people and, and making friends and, and communicating. So some of my early jobs were like selling shoes at like sports authority. And, and I would have to sell these like replacement plans for certain other items. And I would always crush it because I, w I figured out a way to, to, to understand the reasons why people would buy these uh, these replacement plans, which, you know, in retrospect, were, were probably a, a waste of money. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, but, I, but I just started to think that way. And, and, uh, and I just really enjoyed it. I always felt like I was unemployable because I, I would literally quit a job if I thought it sucked the first hour, I would just walk out. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I mean, I remember, remember Target, I don't know if you guys have Target up there. I'm probably, probably <laughs> we had Target for a very short while. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Because it, it is based out of Minnesota, so I was thinking, you know, maybe uh, maybe it was close. But I remember getting a job at Target, and I was walking around, and I was just like an, a floor associate, and I just was like, within my first two hours, I was like, this sucks, and I just walked out. It's like I don't want to do this, and I was really actually miserable for a long time throughout my life because I was like, man, I gotta go and like work for these stupid companies that I just am bored with and hate, and. Uh, and so I thought to myself, man, well, the idea of building my own thing was was super intriguing. And so I got involved with my like first entrepreneurial, I think, endeavor where I actually made some money and I wasn't selling candy in college with a guy named Julio Hernandez. And uh, I was, I think, a, an undergrad. Uh, yeah, certainly an undergrad, but I was, I think, I was a junior. In any case, um, and we started this company called Modern Business Concepts. It was really funny. We got an LLC in the old nine. We were in uh, Tallahassee, Florida, and we were selling tickets to set to a bus to send kids to Mardi Gras for a weekend, and that's how we would make our money. And I just knew there that, oh my God, if I could do this at scale and I could live this way, I would uh, be a lot happier. That's awesome. So, what were your first experiences uh, with startups like? Yeah, well, actually, it starts off a lot earlier. So I got involved with a venture capitalist. I was on campus. I was a, a senior in undergrad. And I met this venture capitalist whose son, and, uh, and his name is Peter Atwal. Peter, if you're listening, uh, you know, I love you and, and thanks for everything. But uh, Peter was a, a venture capitalist who was working on, at that time, you know, some of the early uh, generation like Wi-Fi, WiMAX, you know, telecommunication connectivity infrastructure. And uh, we launched a little startup called Campus Communication, which was trying to take this technology, which was called Mesh Networking, which they were advisors, uh, part of investors in, and bring it on college campuses. And that was my first exposure to NDAs and sweat equity and all this stuff. And I was just incredibly enamored as a 21-year-old college student. Uh, you mentioned, uh, I mean, there are a ton of, of startups I did after that. And it's funny because those startups, I always like to talk about the, the experiences before punch tabs and the Mopubs and now the nodes and the dash tabs and everything else because I felt like, you know, those, I was a lot more mature and those were in the recent years. But you're talking about trying to put startups together back in like 2000 and you know, for 2003, 2005 on the East Coast out of Florida and Atlanta, where you had zero, you know, Menlo Park, Sand Hill Road, there were not, you know, you didn't have the, the startup ecosystem that you have here in the Valley. So it was a very, very painful, but tremendous learning experience for me. 
And, you know, in terms of sales and how I or, or engage in sales activities, it was interesting because I had no idea really what I was doing. I just, you know, I just knew that I had to communicate with people and push them to make decisions. And the decision was, yes, right, we will, you know, test this technology, etc. That company ended up getting bought in 2004 by uh, Motorola. And I, I tried it a, a series of, of other startups uh, before I ended up uh, actually moving to New York City from Silicon Valley. Um, I, I just traveled a bunch in 2008, which during the, uh, the financial crisis and, and did a startup called Kick Apps, which was in the social, I guess, social marketing space today. We were just calling it social media software, community, white label community software at that time. Are you guys familiar with like Ning? Or now they're called, there's other groups, uh, other uh, organizations and technologies um, like Lithium and Jive. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you might have heard. So back in the day, and, and even like folks like Buddy Media that exited, Vitru that exited, Buddy went to Salesforce, yeah. Vitru went to Oracle. These guys, we were all pursuing the, the hey, we want to bolt on social uh, social or online community functionality onto your website. So at the time, the vision was, well, yeah, people are going to want to have their own online community and, and this and that. And, you know, we realized that, that that wasn't actually the case, especially when Facebook opened up their APIs and, and people were just like, why am I going to create 40,000 you know, IDs, right? If I can just use my my one. But that was really the kick apps experience in New York is really when I got into a, a an organized sales, uh, SaaS sales, technology sales organization and was able to, to actually leverage a lot that I had learned before that, which I forgot to mention. I was a door-to-door salesperson with a company called Southwestern. And so I was able to leverage a lot of those things that I learned doing door-to-door and implement them to be a, a pretty kick-ass SaaS uh, SDR inside salesperson at the time. Cool. Do you have do you have any any tactical information around like what you what you learned from from the door to door and applied to to SaaS? Like what what did you focus on? Yeah. What? Well, oh man, where do I start? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a pretty big question. <laughs> yeah, I mean the thing is that like my uh, my door to door sales experience with the Southwestern company, and again, it was a it, we were selling books and software door to door. It was a Nashville, Tennessee based company, which is a, a very very challenging experience for sure. But it taught me everything actually that I know about sales today. From and when I say sales, I'm not talking about process like you know you update CRMs and use these tools, etc. I'm talking about an organized conversation that has a series of steps that I'm going to drive to a conclusion, and um, and I'm going to do that repeatedly, and I'm going to close, and I'm going to find needs and these sorts of things. So I think you know some of the things that I took away with uh, from from that experience with Southwestern was number one, understanding the just the power of continuing to move forward, right? Like you're either going to start off strong or start off mediocre, or you're going to start off very weak. Right. Like there's, you know, and, and you have to be available, you know, um, you have to be open and ready to deal with any of those scenarios. And I think that, you know, what really helped me was being able to understand these fundamental truths. And it was really weird because we used to say, you know, the every no gets you closer to a yes. Right. When we were doing door to door sales. And that taught me just to have some mental toughness. Right. And say, look, you know, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to continue. And it was really bizarre because, you know, 
and I hate to, you know, it's kind of silly to say, but there was like the laws of the universe that were like, hey, you know what, if, if we let, you know, if we torture you and, and uh, you know, you deal with rejection for long enough and you keep on going, we're going to actually go ahead and repay you with some sales. So that was probably one of the biggest learnings that I had was, you know, never give up, keep knocking on those doors, continuing to go and good things will happen. You will learn, period. Um, that's probably one of the big, you know, most powerful things, you know, um, you know, that's more esoteric and kind of like, uh, or, or uh, more philosophical rather, but, uh, but that was probably the most powerful. Then things like being able to sit down and conduct an organized, structured conversation. And, and this was important because, you know, whether you're on a sales call or in a meeting or, you know, or, or maybe in, uh, or designing a sales process that's reflected within your CRM or your sales tools, you need to understand what those steps are. And the reason why we have these processes are to understand and control variables as much as possible. So when I sat there and, and I put 80 hours a week and knocking on thousands of doors for three years, uh, you know, doing these door-to-door -door programs, uh, I really started to understand these fundamental truths that always existed in sales. And those things were validated when I got to SaaS and, and technology sales. But, um, but the fundamental truths were like there was always the first time I knocked on your door or I picked up the phone and called you or I sent you an email. You know, there was, that was a fundamental truth. It was the first time that, we, that I tried to establish two-way conversation or two-way dialogue. You know, that was a fundamental truth. The fundamental truth was there was a time where I, you know, a period in the conversation where I had to figure out where the heck I stood, how, where the prospect um, was in, in terms of their interest level, these sorts of things, right? In a door-to-door -door situation, you're sitting there with maybe one or two or three people in their home, and you're going to try to close that sale because of the nature of the sale and the price points and a, and a, a couple other variables. But, uh, but you really want to understand, hey, I got 20 minutes to close this person, and that's it. I'm not calling them back. If they say no, you're gone, right? You know, an enterprise or B2B sale is going to be quite different, right? But the fundamentals you know, are the same, right? I like to think about this. So Tyler, let's say, and, and I'm, uh, let's say pitch you on a product, you know, I, like a fundamental truth would be me asking you, Hey, Tyler, you know, what, uh, you know, what do you think so far? Mm -hmm. Right. And you yeah. might say something and but based on your response, you're going to give me some information. Now, here's the thing. Like if we were selling, if I was selling you a $10 book today, I would probably try to, I would absolutely try to close you today and I won't call you back because it's not worth the 10 bucks and the market for $10 books is massive, right? So I'm going to work the law of averages. But if I was selling you a $10 million set of software or something, uh, first of all, I know that Tyler and Franco, you are probably not the end all be all decision makers. So I would be closing you on who those people are and you building trust with me to be able to communicate those things. I like to call those micro closes. Right. So, you know, these are all these things that I learned. The last thing I wanted to tell you about the door to door experience was I remember sitting there and this is something that would happen just constantly. And I would sit down with, let's say, a mother in their home. I would get you know, do my demo, get super excited and go, you know, Mrs. Jones. Great. Is that does that look like it would help your kids to learn math? And, and she would say, yeah, absolutely. And then she would say something like, oh, my God, these are fantastic, but I got to wait till my husband comes home. Can you come back later? And then that's one objection. 
you know, as I'm sitting there getting excited and going, oh, great, get the checkbook or I take credit cards, you know, she says, oh, let me go and ask my, my husband in the, in the next room. And my, my stomach would like drop every time because I'd go, oh, my God, a variable that I wasn't able to control. And what do you, th you, know, what do you think would happen? Well, the husband would walk in or yeah. vice versa and go, who the heck's this guy on my, you know, on my couch? in the middle of nowhere, get out of here, right? So they were totally closed. So, you know, things like that, what did that teach me? Well, what that taught me was to understand my variables, right? And so uh, every time, you better believe, after that happened to me about, you know, five times, of course, um, took me a while to, 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 to bake it into my brain, I would ask, hey, you know, Mrs. So-and-so, in, in, I would just ask something like this, or I'd, I'd have a statement around trying to overcome this objection early, and I'd ask, you know, if these if these books look like they would help your kids with their homework or, you know, or, you know, with math or whatever, uh, would you be able to make a decision today? You know, or would you need to ask someone else like your husband, grandma, you know, whatever. Although people would say, you know, in certain cases, people would say, oh, yeah, I can make the decision back out anyways. You know, you can't control that. But a lot of the time they would say, oh, actually, you know what, I, I need to ask my wife or my husband, etc." And then I would schedule it. Now I wouldn't waste the 20, 30 minutes sitting down there. I would schedule a callback and be super efficient. So these are just some of the things that I, that I learned doing door to door, which are absolutely applicable to a B2B sale today. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's some great, some great tactics and some, some awesome stories there. Um, so, you know, you mentioned earlier Mopub, and I think Mopub is really interesting because it was actually acquired by Twitter, uh, which we'll talk about later. But how did you create the opportunity to work there as, as the director of sort of inside sales? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I actually some very good friends with Jim Payne, who's the CEO and founder at Mopub. He and I uh, worked together like in 2005 on a, on a, uh, on a social networking startup called MyTrips. Which, uh, which I was trying to actually develop like the MySpace for travel. In any case, that, that company didn't work out. But I had hired uh, Jim's consulting firm to build the Rails application because in 2005, there were only a couple folks using Ruby on Rails that we were aware of. And the first folks, of course, were, uh, were the folks over at 37 Signals who have the claim to fame for, for developing the, uh, uh, the open source project. But... Uh, in any case, that's you know I, I was really good friends with with uh, with Jim and and I was back in New York doing a couple other startups w which weren't working and and he pinged me he says hey I got this thing called MoPub I'm working on he had got into the first class of AngelPad and so although I wanted to focus on trying to solve some sales related uh, pain points I said yeah yeah I'll come out to I'm gonna come out anyways and apply to AngelPad because he told me I had a great you know great experience so I said yeah I'll help you out so that's how I actually started I just it started me helping out my friend start his company, which ended up becoming Mopub. And I, I knew uh, Brian Atwood, from, uh, which was one of his other co-founders from, from the Google days as well, because I used to party with those guys. And, and then he brought on the feast uh, that he worked with uh, at AdMob before. And, um, and so that, that's how I got involved. And, and, you know, Jim pinged me because he knew I was always the sales dude, you know, so anytime any of anyone needed any sales advice or they needed like someone to just pound the pavement and figure some stuff out, I was always the dude. So what were some of the specific tactics and strategies you put in place to help grow that company's revenue? Sure. So just to, to clarify, the, the product was an ad server 
and it was a mobile ad server and it did a couple things over the years it, we, we sort of absolutely evolved the product to to uh, to meet the needs and nuances of the market but basically if you were a mobile app developer uh, you wanted to make money we had a an ad server that you can drop in an SDK that you could drop in to your application and do a couple things you could manage your like direct sold campaign so if you were selling directly to like agencies or brands or whatever you could use that to manage the uh, the inventory and campaigns the second thing is what we found was that in the same way that desktop needed a mediation layer and of course this is like all ad techy stuff but uh, mobile you know had the same behavior so you saw that publishers use multiple ad networks and they needed a, a central kind of like hub to manage all those ad networks so we would be that mediation layer um, and then the last thing which started to really crush it for us which you know got us on our hundred million dollar run rate and eventually uh, selling the company to Twitter uh, it was uh, the real-time bidding exchange and so just just to kind of simplify what RTB is is just the ability for advertisers which they call them DSPs to be able to plug into our marketplace and bid on impressions in real time. So if you think of an auction and you think about uh, a system plugging into an auction and then programmatically being able to bid on impressions in real time in like a fraction of a second. And so by default, you would optimize revenue uh, for, for these publishers. So that's what it did there. That, that's what the technology was. Um, how did we grow revenue? Well, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I, I always tell the story of, of Mopub and sure, you know, we developed the lead gen, you know, everything that was lead gen was started off from me doing it by myself to, to growing a small team to, to focus on lead generation, which you would look at today as the sales development team. You know, we focused on filling the pipeline, right? Like our organization was very focused and um, and that's what we did. And then we supported the guys who were like Kevin Weatherman and um, and and later on Janae and these organizations. Actually, Janae was was uh, on the demand side, but we just felt we focused on a finding net new publishers to go after, and b understanding where to how to monitor and where the data was going to come from to allow us to to understand who the other rising stars were on the app on the App Store, right? So this was, or Apple, App Store, uh, and Android. So, you know, the biggest impact I think that we had on the organization was absolutely keeping that funnel going and keeping the conversations going. And since we, I think we're pretty innovative with our inside sales org, which again, it was SDRs and that, or that organization. I mean, we were just able to always be on top of a, all net new leads that were coming in or, or apps uh, coming in, meaning coming into the app stores. Or, and then B, being able to monitor the apps that were trending to be able to find them and, uh, and then hand them off to, to the closers. And, uh, and then we did some, you know, some other stuff where we experimented with, um, with you know, like more of a mid-tier SMB kind of models for, in, in, within the context of of our business, right? So SMB and mid market's a little different for, for our business than like a traditional SaaS business that's selling, let's say, you know, HR software or something. Yeah, for sure. And so you mentioned the, the you know, the acquisition process by Twitter. What, what was that like for you? You know, it was awesome and it was sad at the same time because you saw something that you were part of 
and you saw your best friend, you know, build this, this incredible business that was just, man, it's, it's till today I got to give those guys credit, uh, Jim and, and those guys, meaning the founders for really building just a world-class organization. I mean, Jim was the best CEO I'd, I'd ever uh, work for, certainly to date. I think Fallon here at Node is pretty awesome. Uh, I've, been, I've just been working with them for a few weeks now, but uh, she's, she's great. But, uh, but to date, you know, over time, long periods of time, I'd say Jim has definitely been the, uh, the best CEO. And, and for me, it was really about the culture and that he was able to build. And, and the, I mean, can you imagine going from a spreadsheet? I still actually found the spreadsheet a couple months ago of me creating the first lead list, which was completely wrong, uh, the wrong target back in 2010 to a business that was on its way to IPO, right? We were at $100 million run rate when, uh, when Twitter scooped us up. So, you know, it was awesome because, you know, there, were, there was certainly some, you know, financial upside for, for everyone, especially the founders who just became like, you know, some of the richest people on planet Earth now from this acquisition. But, um, but, you know, so that was awesome. And to go through the experience of, of Twitter and going to, a, a, you know, the Twitter was awesome. But, you know, there was some, a certain sense of, of, uh, of sadness as well, just, you know, when you're kind of just, you know, sort of moving on to the next thing. So you also founded Sales for Startups, which was later acquired by Sales Hacker. What motivated you to start this? Well, first of all, I love sales. Um, I always joke around and say that, you know, I, I wasn't tall enough to play basketball, which was my favorite sport. I wasn't big enough to play baseball in Miami, which you had these like great, you know, athletes um, from Miami, Florida originally. And I, I couldn't play. I wasn't fast enough to play uh, football. And when I was in college and I, and I joined the Southwestern company, I really fell in love with this thing called sales. And for me, it was a, it was a, a game that I could play with myself, right? Um, and, and it was all about focusing and motivating myself on a daily basis. I, I was, I did enjoy competition with others, but for me, I, I, I kind of like <laughs> create my own reality in my own head, as crazy as that sounds. And it's just kind of like, you know, I don't really care, you know, what other people think about me necessarily. Sometimes when I'm perhaps a little, I don't know, self-conscious at times, cause I'm human and, and not a robot. You know, I may fall into those, you know, negative thought patterns where I'm like, oh, yeah, I feel bummed because so-and-so was better or did better or whatever. But for the most part, I always tried to use sales as a game that I challenged myself with and didn't really give a shit about, you know, if I was the best overall in the world or not. It was more about was I giving everything that I knew I had inside. And so when I, I actually, as I was mentioning, I came over in 20, actually January 2011, uh, to to help Jim's you know launch Mopub and I um, I was working on something called FeedGen at the time in which I I applied to AngelPad to uh, to become part of and or and to launch and 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 I did did end up getting in and that company didn't quite work out but I always knew that public speaking and building community and building awareness around your personal brand was super important. And I felt like if I could, you know, I was really depressed, actually. I, I was like going to a therapist and everything. I was so depressed about my company failing. Luckily, you know, Twitter or, or, or Mopub rather, uh, Mopub took off. But uh, for a long time there, I, I literally was like broke, living on a mattress with my mom who was visiting at the time in Diamond Heights. And I was so miserable. And this is a reality of what inspired me to start Sales for Startups. 
Uh, I remember sitting there with my broken laptop going, man, is this life? This sucks, right? Um, and, uh, and, and I said to myself, you know what? I got to get my ass up and start something that I was in sales because I love sales and I want to preach the sermon, right? I, I want to preach the, the message and the message with me or for me rather was, hey, this is how you sell. We need, you know, and it was, and it was like, I, you know, I wanted to teach early stage founders who are at that level, like, you, you know, how to sell, how to set up sales processes. I wanted to raise awareness around the dirty grit hustler, you know, early stage sale that I just didn't see. You know, you kept seeing all these like startup founders, you know, and um, hiring all these senior Oracle salespeople or, or people at Google with nothing against Google. I love Google, but you can't tell me that sales at Google is the same as sales yeah. at a startup with no brand. I mean, yeah. give me a break, right? I, I'd even worked with uh, with a bunch of these folks. And, and I remember when we would hire these, these uh, you know, high profile salespeople, they would flop, right? Because they had no clue how to prospect. They had no clue how to take a bag, fill it up with a bunch of rocks and sell it door to door, right? Um, and, um, and that's what I was good at. I was always good at that. I wasn't the most polished person. I didn't go to Harvard. I went to Florida state. I was drinking beer when I should have been doing, you know, homework. You know, I mean, I, I, uh, you know, I did all these, you know, I kind of had a different perspective. So I wanted to teach this more early stage hustler mentality. And that's what sales for startups was at its core. And a lot of the public speaking stuff that I, that we ended up doing, uh, you know, over those years, uh, were really based on what some of the the events and stuff that we used to do at at Southwestern. So it was more about being super positive and inspiring than anything else. And I ne I didn't start it to make make money and build a big business. And in fact, if you look at what like Max Altschuler has done with Sales Hacker, who you know Max is a very good friend. He's basically a brother to me. Um, and I remember sitting down with him, you know, in I think 2012 or something. And when he was really getting, uh, or 2013 or whatever it was when he was getting sales hacker really off the ground and saying, Hey man, you know, we're not really, you know, we're not competitive. You know, this is a passion for me. And, uh, and, you know, although we ended up building curriculum and, and doing workshops and monetizing it, I, I literally, you know, in five years, I, or most of four years, whatever it was, I, I never paid myself. I always just reinvested any of the money we made uh, into being able to do more events and, and, and you know, and other things, right, to be able to support the community. So that's what it was. Sales for Startups was all about inspiring and motivating and teaching sales and and, um, and, and sales process. And that was the game I wanted to teach folks. And, and, it, and, and you know, it just happened that, that it did pick up steam. And it's funny because I talk to people now and I, I go to all these conferences and they're like, oh man, you know, you, you guys were, you know, early in building this whole sales development, you know, ecosystem and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I guess. I mean, although that stuff has been around for a long time, I think it's because it's been part of this, like, this era in the startup, you know, boom, you know? Mm -hmm. So you mentioned a couple times in the episode um, about Node. So you're currently a part of the organization as an advisor and working closely with them. Um, for those who may not know, what is Node and what motivated you to join the team? So right now, yeah, I've been working very closely. I, I've been here in the short term heading up uh, uh, sales and marketing and, uh, you know, as in, in terms of our go-to-market 
you know, what motivated me actually, you know, to be super honest was the, the team here. Um, you know, I had just got done with Twitter and was working on a, a product called DashTab, which was trying to optimize the, uh, the UI and UX inside of Salesforce for sales development reps. And I was um, called by Fallon Fatemi. I think she pinged me somewhere. I forgot, maybe Facebook. And she's like, hey, I need some, some beta feedback on a, on a browser plugin they were working on. So I, I, I started getting involved, just advising on the, on the uh, you know, providing some feedback on the product. And, uh, you know, a couple things kind of fell through that I was working on at the time. And I was about to take off to Europe. And I just really, like, just was super impressed by you know, Fallon's presence and her ability to, to execute. And, and, um, and then I came on, which is what I've been doing now, uh, came on as a, is, you know, helping with their content marketing strategy and sales strategy and a variety of other things. And, uh, so to date I've been consulting with them, but I absolutely love these guys and who knows what the uh, short term is going to bring in terms of what node is. It's interesting because Fallon's vision is, is massive. And, uh, you know, I think without uh, they're still in beta now, and and uh, so I'll be cautious of how much I communicate. Although I think beta is kind of funny, but you know, right now what they're trying to do is understand the entire web, keep crawling it in the same way that that Google crawls it. These are actually ex Google and Facebook um, engineers. And Fallon was actually one of the youngest people at, at Twitter, or part of me at Google ever to to be hired. And so she worked on, on sales strategy over at, uh, uh, at the, on the YouTube team. But uh, but Node, what was uh, as I was mentioning, what what they're trying to do is you know understand the entire web, distill it down, and uh, provide re- personalized recommendations to the user. So they believe that like the last ten years has been about search. And that the next ten years are really going to be about being being uh, having systems proactively recommend stuff. And so, one of the first categories they want to go after is the business network and the business community and B two B and SaaS and sales. So, if you think about how that type of technology would be applicable to a sales team, uh, I mean the possibilities are endless. Let's talk about them for a second. So, the first possibility would be. You being a sales rep who logs into his or her CRM or or whatever sales software you're using to manage that process, and you have recommendations from Node on who the uh, who the best people to talk to would be. So if you you know if you kind of just think about what that recommendation mechanism would be, I mean it's really really interesting. So you know that that's what she's working on. I mean, this future of this technology could be a variety of things. This could be you know orbits proactively sending you something that's super personalized and no more spamming and people and stuff that are just that don't even work for them, right? So um, you know, there's there's a variety of of use cases. Uh, Node right now is going to be focused on the B two B sales and marketing use uh, segment or space. Uh, but the big vision is to really power the personalized web. And I know that was a little abstract there, but it's, uh, <laughs> I'm, no, it's de- great. I'm under, I'm under non, uh, non-disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds great. I'm looking, really looking forward to seeing uh, it officially launch in the new year. Yeah, well, if you, check, you can check it out. It's node.io, and you can sign up to it and get on the wait list. Email me if you're a B2B sales manager out there or SDR manager or, or VP of sales or you know, in, across any vertical. But really right now, of course, we're focused on SaaS. 
you know, send me an email. It's J-O-R-G-E at node.io. Follow me on Twitter. I'm a, I'm a huge, uh, of course, being an, an ex-tweet, but um, I'm huge on, on Twitter, um, you know, which is at Soto Ventures. And uh, you can check out my blog. I mean, I got a ton of cool stuff. Tyler, I don't know if, you, if you've seen the latest videos that I've been putting up. Uh, it's a little show called Startups Unedited, and it's really about educating and inspire what, uh, what I like to call the entrepreneurs. so these early <laughs> folks who yeah. want to be entrepreneurs. So I think it's a lot of very close to what, you know, the mission that you guys are up to here, which is why I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. So do you have any last thoughts or personal mottos uh, that you like to live by that uh, you think others should know about and you can share with us? Yeah, so it's interesting. I think about success and leadership every second of the day. I beat myself up from the moment I wake up in the morning and around how I could be a better, more organized, more spiritual, you know, just just high-performing individual. I would say that successful people are willing to do the things that uns that unsuccessful people are not, you know, and it's not a negative thing, right? Like, uh, you know, I used to get upset at people when I would and really take it personally when I would uh, launch a venture with them and they just weren't willing to work as hard, you know, and, and it used to really bother me. And, and, uh, and I just realized that, like, you know, you're just, there's just a set of people out there who are willing to go to war and, and do what's necessary within reason, you know, with ethics and, uh, and, and character. And, uh, and there are people who, who decide that that's not for them or they don't, their, their awareness is not even there to understand that that world exists. You know, I think that you need to figure out how to break your belief barriers. And when I say belief barriers, I say, you know, the, 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 and what that means for me is like the, the walls that constrain me from seeing beyond what I believe is possible, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's really, really, really a powerful kind of moment in one's life when you go, oh my gosh, I can do that. Or like, that's the path, right? And for me, it was back in, in, in 2003 when I met Peter Atwell on campus and he brought me into that telecom startup. He broke my belief barrier because I remember him sitting there going, and he would work with you know big corporations like AT&T delivering them. Um, next generation military technology that was now essentially sunsetted for consumer use or commercial use, and uh, and he just was he just sat there and he's like, dude, you start with a plan, you figure out what the steps are, and and you execute, and you and you try to execute in the most efficient way, and and he's like, you know, all these companies that you see that you think are incredible, like the AT and T's, and you know, I forgot what he was mentioning the exact companies at that time, but he's like, they were just all started by by you know guys and gals like you and I, and uh, and for me that was really the most powerful thing. So in summary, for everyone who's listening out there, you got to think about how do I break my own belief barriers, and what's amazing uh, is when you're able to give that back to people. You know, it's it's not necessarily about what you can get from others, but what you can give. And I, and man, it's a fundamental truth in life that the more you give, the more you get. Um, you know, sales for startups was all about giving. It was about helping people. And you know, many, many, many of the folks out there who who we were involved with early days have built great companies. You know, they, Ilya, Datanize, and Ben Sardella. 
Um, the, the guys David and the guys at Sendbloom, you look at Manny Medina and Andrew there at Outreach. I mean, you know, Max with Sales Hacker. I mean, just, you know, it was all about sharing and building community, you know, and, and even if we all bump up and compete at some point, which it's bound to happen, you know, those guys know I love them and, and they know that, and I believe they do too, um, in terms of, you know, reciprocating that to me. And, um, and so, yeah, so that's the other thing. It's, you know, you give as much as you can, you know, you give selflessly and good things end up happening. So break believe barriers and, uh, and give selflessly. That's awesome. That's a great way to end uh, the episode. Uh, George, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today, man. Yeah, sounds good. Guys, uh, keep, uh, keep kicking ass. Will do. Thanks, man. All right, take care. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Hack to Start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind the scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening and see you next time.